Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Everybody, please put hey. a thumb in the air. Welcome to Broad Street Hockey Radio. That's right, BSH Radio. My name is Bill Matz. I'm your director of fun and games for the evening, day, afternoon, morning, whatever. There's really no time anymore. But the playoffs are here, and it is great. If, you, if you're anything like us, you've been spending the last like 72 straight hours watching hockey. It's awesome. They should do this every year. Let's get right into it. Start with the intros. Lead it off with Stephalicious D. Steph Driver. I stand by what I said about Kevin Hayes last week and would like to repeat it once again. He is the best, or rather, most valuable flyer that we have. Thank you. I'll tell you, there's something to, uh, I heard some, I can't remember which broadcast was talking about. It might have been during the Flyers game, but without, uh, without the energy of the stands, you know, without the energy of a crowd, it's really up to the bench to motivate themselves and keep the momentum, just keep that going. And guys like Kevin Hayes, Scott Lawton, Travis Konechny, man, there isn't, they're more important than ever. Just keeping everyone loose, but also keeping everyone focused, uh, excited in the game. I, it's, there's something to it with the personality of this team. I love them. So I, I love from Kevin the Hayes. athletic.com. Okay, oh. we're, we're we're sorry. I was gonna say I love <laughs> Kevin Hayes, but I, I would like to make the point that I do not agree that he's the most valuable player on the team. I don't think he's one of the three most valuable players in the team. Very good player, but in comparison to Sean Couturier and Ivan Provorov and Claude Giroux, yeah, no, sorry. Yeah, but the thing is, nobody asked you. I know, I know. <laughs> There's definitely that, and I'm also not talking about talent level. Like I didn't say he's the most talented. I said he's the most valuable. Yeah, but uh, okay. From TheAthletic.com, Charlie O'Connor. So I think it's kind of neat. Um, and maybe I should have expected this, but I didn't. Um, like, just how how obviously, like, the vast majority of teams, really across all sports, but specifically the NHL, have pretty much just picked up right where they left off. Like, there was probably a fear that the Flyers would not be as good as they were at the end of the season. Um but it seems like they're pretty much just as good as they were at the end of the season. And, like, compare that to the Sixers, who are the same frustrating mess they were when the season paused. And then looking at the NHL, like, the Maple Leafs still are talented but can't seem to put it all together. Pittsburgh, kind of the same way, which is exactly where they were before. Vegas is still forechecking teams to death. The Islanders are still boring as hell. The Blue Jacks are still all about defense. Like, 
it's just weird that like it seems like we literally just hit the pause button on sports and then hit the play button and it's the same exact shit and in a weird way that's kind of reassuring i don't know charlie you just pissed off five more fan bases i am pissing off so many fan bases during this and i love it charlie says nothing but facts how could anyone get mad at him i mean simply can't bill as like one of the main purveyors of feelings over facts i think you can understand why people would get mad at me over this (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but I just, like, I just ignore facts, you know? <laughs> if they don't jive with what I'm thinking, I'm just like, well, then fuck it. It's not true. I've got no comments on the state of the world and that being people's philosophies. Not I have, I, I'm, in a tw- I'm in a Twitter argument right now with someone telling me uh, the Florida Panthers could, if they just sustained a little success, be like, a normal NHL team one day have a great following, and I'm like, nah, man, it's been three decades. No one cares. No one's gonna care. We have three. We have almost thirty years of data to back that up. Last but certainly not least, the fly by herself, Kelly Hinkle. So speaking of feelings over facts, I'm just like, so the reason that this started in my brain today about Brian Elliott starting this game against Washington is that. Charles tweeted that he was going to be starting the game against Washington. And I took a look at his mentions and there were a lot of people who were having ongoing conversations, just kind of accepting like, okay, so we're going to lose this Washington game and then we have to win against Tampa and blah, 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 blah. Or like, I really wish that Hart would start against Washington because if we win the Washington game, then we head into Tampa, we can blah, blah, blah. Like starting Brian Elliott is just a loss. Like we're just going to, function as though that's going to be a loss and I don't know why that's a prevailing attitude I don't think anyone's going to argue that Brian Elliott is an extremely good goaltender at this point in his career or ever in his career but he's fine there's no reason to believe that starting Brian Elliott against the Washington Capitals means that we're going to lose and we should adjust our thought processes accordingly like that's just stupid and annoying and I want you all to stop it well here's the thing Never look at the mentions. I don't know why I ever read. <laughs> Never. I don't know what I'm doing. You've got the people with zero followers that just created an account yesterday that are responding and screaming at everyone and everything. Never read the mentions. The replies are literally the only thing I like about Twitter. I love reading <laughs> replies. You, of like, course, of course up. you love that, Bill. You love everything that's bad. I have to unblock bad. the... Pre- I have to unblock the President of the United States sometimes when, like, a lot of shit is going down. I'm like, well, I have to read the replies to whatever <laughs> nonsense this is. Like, it's so good. And just for uh, just to back up uh, what Kelly's saying here, Brian Elliott, 2-0 and against Washington this year. Uh, both games, he made 25 saves on 27 shots for a 926 save percentage. Now, look, listen, uh, I like Brian Elliott, like Kelly said, is not better than Carter Hart. We know no. this. But, like, he's a good backup, and he's a veteran, and my he's he's been in big games before. He's fine. My major complaint with him is always you can't overwork him. He's not a number one workhorse. That's not who he is. Well, he's plenty fucking well-rested now, so there won't be a problem. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've got you've to get him at least into game shape just in case something happens to Carter Hart and he's got to play. Yeah. You've got to. It, it, 
the people who are saying that you shouldn't play Brian Elliott are short-sighted sighted morons. Like, stop. No, yeah, <laughs> he's he's got to draw into one of these games, and we'll get into the idea of which one would have been better and for whatever reason a little later, but uh, we have other stuff to start the show first. I just want to lead off with, um, I know it was one game. I know, it's just one game. But have your expectations changed? Because I'm not saying cup or bust, you know, because that means, like, if you don't win the cup, you make changes. Teams that go bust in the cup or bust scenario, like fire their coach or trade their captain or spend $50 million on a goalie who's tripping on acid perpetually, whatever. <laughs> like, that's what you do when you're cup or bust. But, man, I am just expecting a run. Uh, I'm not saying I didn't think they had it in them before, but a lot a lot of shit happened. We didn't know if they were going to pick up where they left off. We didn't know if any number of things were going to go right or wrong for this team coming out of the pandemic pause. But, man, I just really expect this team to win at least one, if not two, if not four rounds of playoff hockey. Like, I am now expecting it, and I will be disappointed if it doesn't happen. And that's just what I want to lead off with. Have your expectations changed? I know Kelly and Steph picked them to win the cup last show, hmm. but we're fans, and that's how we see it a lot of the time. Watching them just in that Boston game, do you, do you feel differently about them? No, because they're going to win the cup. Like, it's not even something that... I'm optimistic about it. It's just fact. Like, they're going to win the cup this year. I will say it was it was nice to see, as Charlie said, that they kind of did pick up exactly where they left off. And I do think that that was a worry. Um, even after the Pittsburgh game where they looked pretty good, that wasn't a real game technically. So getting into a game that counts and kind of doing the things that made them successful – in the regular season in the before times, like the first period dump and chase to wear out the team and then getting better as the game goes on, which was kind of like a signature flyers thing this season, which was super weird and good. Um, yeah. I mean, I haven't, I can't say that my expectations have changed because they've been ridiculously high always, but <laughs> um, I I feel confident about it. Like, last night I was thinking to myself, oh, I don't know, maybe I don't want them to get the Canes in the first round. Like, maybe that would be scary. Then I was like, you know what? No. No. They'll be fine. We are going to run through the Hurricanes. Yeah. You guys are fucking toast with those goaltenders. That tropical Good storm luck, that hit Philly for about two hours is stronger than that Hurricanes team <laughs> I just watched. Beat up a Rangers team that embarrassed themselves and in so doing, embarrassed me for saying maybe they might be better than we all thought. Yeah. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah, I do. It was last week. That <laughs> team is so bad. The Rangers are so bad. It's delightful. It is so nice. Yeah, so, like, this, the hours before Sunday's game, I wrote an article basically saying, like, guys, Flyers could win it all. Just, just mm -hmm. saying. So, like, I, I don't think Sunday's game changed my overall view of the Flyers' chances of going on a real run because I believe they could go on a real run. It's just, I guess they it increased the certainty because there was that, that you know, uncertainty of 
they haven't played a meaningful game in four plus months. They might not be the same team. Maybe they're just a team that was on a hot streak at the end of the year. Maybe they're not actually this good. And that Boston game just served to it served as a reminder that no, they actually are a legitimately really good team. Now, are they the best team? I don't know. You know, the playoffs are weird. Shit happens. You can get unlucky. Somebody can get hurt. Whatnot. So, I I, I don't I don't feel comfortable saying like they're definitely going to win, but I definitely believe they should be on the short list for anybody who's trying to think, okay, who can actually win this this championship? Like, you know, one thing that did it, it and we might get into this a little bit later, but one thing that did amuse me. And I think this goes back to the fact that the hockey world in general is still having a little trouble accepting how good the Flyers are, is how during the broadcast of Sunday's game and then after the game, it seemed like one of the driving narratives was that, you know, Boston just isn't playing that well. It's like, okay, maybe, but is it also possible that the Flyers were just playing better and making them play Mm. poorly because this is what the flyers have been doing to pretty much everyone they faced from the beginning of february on through the pause so is it possible that boston is just not clicking yeah i'm sure they're not clicking but a big part of the reason why they were not clicking is because the flyers were forcing them to not click and i felt like there were a lot of people in the national hockey world that were willing to pin that game on boston not looking like boston without presenting the possibility that the reason why they didn't look like boston is because the flyers were making them not look like boston yeah, like, there's there's just not clicking. Like, sometimes you're not as good as, like, you just don't play well. And then there's the quote-unquote perfection line. Each member of that line having a Corsi 4 percentage below 30 against the Couturier line. Like, maybe they're just that fucking good. Like, the hot streak, yeah, they were playing real well during that hot streak, and it came to an end against Boston. Boston... Their only win against the Flyers this year was that last game before the pandemic. Uh, the Flyers, like, they were, they had that nine-game winning streak. Things were going well. But I think it was the exhibition game. Uh, JJ, before, said, listen, the hot streak was one thing. But if you go back to November 1st, they're one of the best teams in hockey since then. It's just, like, October was a weird month. We've gone over it a bunch of times. And then it ended with that terrible beatdown, that 7-1 loss to Pittsburgh. But after that, the Flyers were good. They were a good team. More weird shit happened to them, like finding out one of their teammates who was having a breakout season had fucking cancer. But throughout all of it, they've looked good, and they're just continuing to look good. And, like, the best team never is the team that wins the Cup. I mean, I you could probably count on one hand, like, when the actual best team by the numbers on paper is the team that wins the cup. I don't think that happens very often. I think that you need to have a combination of talent and a bunch of weird amorphous shit that nobody can describe that goes back to, I think, what Bill was talking about, that you have a bunch of guys on this team that are having fun and they keep having fun and they're keeping everyone loose and they're all buds and they're going to win for Oscar. It's like a whole bunch of like stuff that isn't real that I think <laughs> makes a difference even though it's not real. I, I just don't – I. it doesn't worry me that they're not the best team. They're definitely not, but I think that they're going to be the team that plays the best for I, I think the reasons. Yeah, I, I think the, the, the point I made in my article is that the best team doesn't always win, but bad and mediocre teams don't win. 
Like that's right. the thing. You you can't you can't be a bad or even a meh team and win the Stanley Cup. It just doesn't happen. You don't survive four rounds. But you don't have to be the best team. You just have to be one of the best teams. Like one of the six or seven best teams, maybe even four or five. And I think the Flyers are one of those teams. Now, whether they win it, I'm not sure. But, like, you just have to basically be above the threshold of, like, not being just meh. And then you have a shot. And the Flyers are very much above that threshold. So then it just comes down to whether things break their way. And as Kelly said, whether those, like, amorphous things are in their favor. And it sure seems like a lot of them might be. Here's here's one of the—when when Kelly mentioned having fun, I just thought— you know how we'll, like, just be sitting on Twitter and someone will be like, hey, remember Oliver Lawrenson? Really thought he was going to be something. You think, like, G and Jake are, you know, like, in the training room after a game, drinking a beer, sitting in the cold tub or whatever, and they're like, yo, remember, like, Oliver Lawrenson came up and we thought maybe that was going to help? Like, this is our chance. This is our goddamn opportunity. We have had it so bad for so long, we finally have some help. This must be so much fun for them. Gotta be. Plus, they're at summer camp. All right, guys. So, uh, I just want to get into a little bit of of how this has been going, because we had that quick taste of it. We had that quick taste of, uh, you know, the exhibition game and just getting an idea of what summer hockey was going to be like. But now it's the round robin, it's the qualifying, it's March Madness, but for hockey all day, every single day. And Charlie, in, in one of your more recent articles you just had as an observation, what was the round robin game like? And we saw the players basically say it was a, a playoff light atmosphere. It wasn't quite playoffs, but it was more than a random Tuesday, December game, you know. Uh, so how did it feel for everyone else? Like, how did it feel for you guys watching meaningful August hockey? So good. Everything about, I mean, like, I, I don't know. I was so unsure about this format and pretty much everything about these playoffs heading into it when they were in the planning stages, but I cannot begin to describe how fun it is to be at home all day because I'm lucky enough to have a job where I can work from home and hockey is just on all day, literally all day. It's so nice. It's been so good. And like, you know, it's fun on Twitter again because we're all talking about actual hockey things that are actually happening and everything is going well and the players are keeping themselves safe and the bubble seems to be working. Everything's just good. Kelly. I. Oh, go ahead, Steph. Had a different experience <laughs> um, because I would I went back to my parents' house to try and be on NBC. We were told we would be on NBC, and we were not. Rude. Uh, so rude. Oh, yeah, um, I was looking I had, for you. Yeah, we were not. Um, but I had to be in a room with, you know, six other people that didn't care about hockey, didn't like hockey, just we're going to be on TV because I said, hey, want to be on TV? So it kind of sucked. I really wish that I had just been alone at home and been able to whisper to myself about Carter Hart. God, he's so good. <laughs> I I think these games have been fun. Like, are they, are, are they teams at their, you know, peak? Probably not. Some teams are closer than others. But I don't think it's so sloppy and so bad that it's 
actively detracting from my enjoyment of watching these games by any means. Like, I, I think one thing that is completely true is that most NHL coaches are pretty good at their jobs, and most NHL players are pretty damn good at theirs. So... Is it going to take some time for them to get up to, you know, to peak level? Probably, but they're good enough at their jobs that they can get close to it, or at least close enough to it that these games don't feel like a sham. They feel real, and they feel legitimately competitive, and it's only going to get better. Like, that's the thing. It's it, These games are only going to get better as the playoffs progress, and by the time we probably get to, like, round two, I'm expecting, you know— normal playoff caliber speed and normal playoff caliber intensity. Oh, yeah, I definitely don't think these games have been, like, of a low quality. Uh, I just... uh, The players talked about the intensity level and how maybe it it was closer to playoff hockey than... I think in your article I read, Charlie, it was... They said, uh, like, it was like a stretch drive game in March. Yeah. yeah. Like, well, that's it, what it feels like. I think there's also a distinction to be made between the game the Flyers are playing, which is a round-robin game, and then the games that we've mostly been watching, which are mostly playing mm-hmm. games that actually have implications for if you lose, you're gone. Bye-bye, New York Rangers. Um, but, yeah, I think the, <laughs> the round-robin games have probably been a little bit lower in, ter- in terms of intensity just because the teams know that if they lose, it's not, you know, yeah, they're going to drop seeding and – I will note how hilarious it is that the Boston Bruins were the best team in hockey all year, and now they're currently sitting fourth. In oh, the, you hate to say that. Which is so amazing. Sad. <laughs> I was going to bring this up later because, like, I am of the belief, like, watching how this is going and just the schedule and everything, if they do a 70 game regular season and then this format every year from now on, I am 100% in. But there's there should be some consideration to the president's trophy winner. Like I, they did play seventy games and win more than anyone. They had a hundred points already with twelve or more games to go. I don't know. It's it what, seems what unfair. Can, during, I'm during not complaining because it's the Bruins, but it seems a unfair. During normal season, what consideration goes to a president's trophy winner? They have home ice advantage throughout. Okay, and. Like, they have the chance to do that this time. They're just fucking it up because they are fucking it up. Well, I mean, they lost one game, but it's... They're fucking it up. Yeah, that their seeding doesn't seem fair. I feel like the President's oh. Trophy winner in this situation should get some sort of special consideration. It's completely unfair, and I don't <laughs> care at all. Like, th- that's well. the thing. Like, objectively speaking, it's completely unfair. And I am very much a person who actually wants... I want the regular season in in most years to matter far more in terms of how it helps a team in the playoffs than it actually does. Like I think it's insane that you could be the the best team in your conference and all you all you get in the first round is one more home game than the eight seed. Like that's it. You should have a way bigger advantage than that based on what you earn in the regular season. But in this case, I don't give a shit. Like I just don't. And it's probably in part in large part because it's helping the Flyers and it's hurting teams I don't like that much. I mean, it's, it's not fair that, like, the Panthers and the Blackhawks and other shitty teams are getting a chance to get into the playoffs. Like, that's fundamentally unfair. They shouldn't have been in at all. But That's fair to me because if you're not great, weird. then you should have to fight for it. You just shouldn't get in. Yeah, you just shouldn't get in in the first place. But, uh, most I mean, of these, like, the most normal eight seeds shouldn't get in. Like, it should just start at the conference final because all those teams had all year to prove they were good, and they're not. So yeah, but I, the, 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 the rules are set. The rules are set that eight teams make it in each conference. And, 
you know, if you are the eighth seed, yes, you very well might suck. But you did earn your way into the playoffs based upon the rules set at the start of the season. This is inherently weird and kind of stupid. But I don't care, in part because, as I said, it hasn't hurt the Flyers. If it hurt the Flyers, I'd be livid. Um, And in part just because we're all so hockey-starved that it's like, hey, yeah, we're getting to watch, you know, hockey for 12 consecutive hours every day. This is actually kind of amazing. See, I just I think the top four teams qualifying in each conference and everyone else having to fight to get in makes the regular season matter more. But I, I just guess, yeah, I, I just feel like the best team overall should get more special treatment. Like maybe if you did this and you just seeded the top four teams, like you ranked them based on how they finished in the regular season, and then you don't fuck around with that ranking. Like that is set. And then you have the rest of them fighting to the death to get into the playoffs, and then you figure out who you're going to play. You can do it that yeah. way. Yeah, I mean that's There's interesting. Ways. Well, the whole the whole reason, I mean, that was basically what the NHL originally suggested. They originally suggested yeah. that the four teams that get that that are at the top of each conference get essentially a buy, and they don't have to do anything. And then the other teams have to do play-in, and the, those teams were all like, "No, we're going to be totally out of you know out of shape and out of sync, and we're all going to get upset in the actual first round because we didn't play games." So like, they're the reason why they created this round robin. So maybe in a you know non-pandemic type situation, those teams would have been more open to the idea of just give us a week off and give us a week to prep. Um, while those other teams get to beat the shit out of each other after an 82-game season to battle their way into the first round. In this case, it was different because nobody had played in four months, but maybe in a real season, the the teams wouldn't have that same worry. They'd look at it as, you know, this is a week for us to get healthier. This is a week for, you know, us to work on things and whatnot while the other teams get to kick the shit out of each other for five or six days. So I, I'm intrigued by that by that idea, you know, Bill and Kelly. I think that could be interesting. From my understanding, though, is that Bettman does not want to increase the size of the playoffs. So I'm not sure that would happen in a pandemic-ish world uh, or a pandemic-less world, I guess is the, the better way to put it. Um, but I'm, I don't hate it because, again, I like the idea of giving – of making the regular season have more value in terms of your chances of winning it all, and that would be a way to do it. So a few minutes ago, Steph said she would have rather be watching the game by herself so she could have just had a good time gushing over Carter Hart to herself. And this next, uh, this next part of the outline is entitled Gushing About Carter Hart. Um, <laughs> Kelly, I have to get right to your note oh. because someone, said, someone told you he didn't look good against Boston? Right in our very Slack chat, actually. I will sell out these two during the Which game. Which idiots! I said something about him looking really good, and I think it was it was in the first period. Um, I said that I thought that he looked steady and like he was, you know, playing his game well. And I think Kurt and Jason both said, oh, I thought he looked shaky. I give them a pass because at the first period, the Flyers just couldn't hold They looked like the, the whole team looked like ass in the first period, but if he I was thought, shaky in the first, they would have been down three nothing. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Like, yeah. Like, we have talked a million times about the things that Carter Hart does that make him good, and he like he seemed like to, to be doing all of those things, like tracking the puck really well and being in really good position all the time and not having to fl- like flail himself around because he's out of position. Like, he just looked like Carter Hart playing a good Carter Hart hockey game, and I was happy to see it that early on. And people were like, mm, I don't know. He allowed talking. one goal, and it was because he played it so well that – 
the puck ended up hitting Robert Haig and bouncing in. Yeah, we know who to blame that one on. God, Kurt. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, that wasn't really Haig's fault, but I, I, um, well, no, no. I mean, he was just there, but maybe. Yeah, I, I thought Hart was fantastic. I thought Hart was absolutely I thought he fantastic. Great. No, that and, was the perfect, yeah. like, calm, steady. Doesn't even need to make awesome saves because he's just there. It, like, yeah. There was exactly. one pass across. There was one pass across, uh, like the slot where. He was there before the puck got to the dude's stick. Like, it looked like it could have been a dangerous play. And he was just like, no, nope, I'm already along the post, and it hit me right in the crest. Stoppage. Like, it was just the perfect Carter Hart game, I thought. I literally kept whispering to myself, God, he's so good, after every save. And my family was just kind of looking at me like, is, is she okay? <laughs> no, actually, I'm not okay. Are you watching what's happening on this television right now? Yeah, it's just there. There's a certain, and I, I I have a strange feeling that over the years we're going to get more and more used to these games, um, because we're just going to be watching you know upwards of hundreds of them over the next ten years. But he just has this ability to make hard saves look like medium saves, and then he has the ability to make sure that medium saves don't turn into hard saves by him creating rebounds and whatnot, or by him like not reacting quick enough so that a save that really wasn't that difficult looks harder than it is. Like There are, there are some goalies, I will say this, like Jonathan Quick to me is a perfect example. There are some goalies that make saves look tougher than they actually are because they react too slow. And they look like they're making this ridiculously athletic save when in reality they only had to be athletic because they didn't anticipate the play as well as they could have otherwise. And Hart is the opposite in that he'll make a save that really was very difficult, but in re- like when you're watching it, it doesn't seem that hard because he was just already there. He already knew what was going to happen, and he positioned himself in a way that it didn't look like it was that tough of a stop, whereas if it was Jonathan Quick, he would be flying across the crease, and we'd all be like, oh, my God, Jonathan Quick is amazing. And, like, obviously Jonathan Quick isn't that good anymore, but I'm even talking about, like, prime age Jonathan Quick. Like, Jonathan Quick no, was a Conn very Smith, good— No, Jonathan yeah, Quick like, was good. Like he, was a, he was a very good goalie, but he made some saves look harder than they actually would have been if he would have predicted the play better. And with Hart, you don't see that because he predicts the play so damn well. Yeah, I remember reading, like, about Dominic Hasek and how he used to bait shooters, like, leave something opened on purpose so that he could be like, ha-ha, gotcha. <laughs> Hart, he's just like, no, I'm just taking away, I'm taking away the most obvious shit. All right, so we we learned that it's going to be Elliott on Thursday and then Hart on Saturday against Tampa. Um how do we how do we feel about this strategy? Because I was I was wrestling with it before the announcement was made. Like if you start him on Thursday against Washington, he has more time to prepare and recover from a from like a a potential tweak or anything. Um, you know, it's just a little more time to get ready again. But he's so he's been streaky and he's just able to get on such a roll that. You start him Saturday, if if he does, like, lose his net a little, you know he'll be ready for game one, because that's, that's what he does. He hits reset so well, so it's a good right before the actual first round starts. Uh, I, I think AV made the right decision when I really think about it. What do you guys think? This was what I wanted them to do. I wanted them to, um, to, to start Elliott uh, in this Thursday game and go back to Hart on Saturday. I put it on Twitter for two reasons. Number one, because I just don't think terribly highly of the Capitals. 
and I would rather play my weaker goalie against a team that isn't as good because I don't know if you need Carter Hart to beat the Capitals. Uh, and then number two, because like the players, the playoffs are going to start supposedly on August 11th, which I believe is next Tuesday. But like the Flyers aren't guaranteed to play on August 11th. They might play yeah, on yeah. August 12th. Like you don't know how the schedule is going to set up because they're going to have to play four games to get through the entire first game of the first round in a bubble. I don't think they're going to play four games in one day. So the Flyers could plausibly start their series on the 12th. I could even see a scenario where they start the series on the 13th, depending on TV deals and whatnot. So like we're talking about. You're somewhere between like five and seven days or four and six days from Hart playing uh, on the sixth if he were to start Wednesday versus him starting in game one. And I kind of want I want to cut down that gap as much as possible. I want him to stay in rhythm. So to me, the idea of him playing against the tougher team and the later of the three of, of the two uh, round robin games left, that made sense to me. Um, I, I guess I understand the people who were like, why didn't why don't you just play hard all three games but like mm. Elliot hasn't played like this there was a four month pause this isn't like the regular season where he played 30 games and he's in a rhythm like everyone's out of their rhythm you got to get Elliot into one of these games I just feel like you had to considering the strangeness of it all and you had to get him back yeah. in some sort of rhythm yeah I don't understand those people at all you need to get Brian Elliot in a game I actually I think this is a good good time for a different reason. You know, let's say let's say they do lose on Thursday, and I don't think that they will. Uh, but let's say they do, then you know for the next game against Tampa, like that's that's a must win game, or as must win as it could possibly be during a round robin where none of these truly matter. So that's the game that you want to play your starter. You want to know what the situation is going into the last game of the round robin, and that's the one that you want to play your starter. Even if they do win on Thursday, okay, great. Then you play Carter Hart, and you're going to close out the round robin for the top seed. Like, great. Perfect. You want to play your starter in the last game of this series. My thought, my my one reason I thought maybe put Hart in on Saturday is – just because, or no, put Hart in on Thursday and put Elliott in on Saturday, excuse me, was, like, they're going to lose to Tampa. They haven't beaten Tampa in two and a half years. I am not confident they will beat them on Saturday. So just give Hart the one you're going to win and make sure you beat the team that you are, like, probably better than. You match up well with them. You've beaten up on them a couple times this year. You might, like, make sure you win that game. And then Tampa is what it is. It's not going to come down to the goalie, uh, I don't think. It's they're better. It's going to take a whole lot of luck to beat them. I don't think so. I also think that – so this game on Thursday is being used very obviously as a let's figure out some shit lineup-wise, which is good. that They should be using these games to do that. So I guess my hope is that going into the Tampa game – they're kind of firmly set on what the lineup is going to look like for game one of the actual playoffs. And this allows them to have that team play a game together and start to get things together. I I mean, it's just like Charlie said, you want to get, you want to get them rolling into the first round of the playoffs. And I think that setting them up with the best possible chance of winning includes playing Carter Hart. So that's what you do. 
Yeah, no, that's that's honestly that might make the most sense out of anything anyone just said. Have that team, the team that's going into game one, play on Saturday as the final as the final dress rehearsal. I think that makes the most sense. Yeah, it doesn't sound like they're going to do that though. Um, it really? does sound really? like well, based on what what AD said today, it sounds like tomorrow. Um, number one, obviously, Joel Farabee's coming back in because, which we'll get to in a few. Uh, Michael Roffel is out for a bit, as as Vino said earlier this week. So Farabee comes back in. He also said that he might play another forward who hasn't who hasn't yet appeared in a game. So we'll see who that is. But he seems like he's setting that's us Oscar up for, Lindblom's music. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's still in Sweden, man. <laughs> you're, you're you're about a month a month or a month too early on Oscar. But they're um, gonna helicopter him in. He's gonna come down like Sting from oh the rafters. God. Yes, um, but it sounds like in, in tomorrow's game, in the Thursday game, he's gonna roll with the same D pairs as in the first round robin game. But on Saturday, you might see Ghost get it. Or you might see Mark Freeman get in, uh, or you might see both of them get in. So it, it doesn't sound like the Saturday game is going to be the entirety of the uh, the projected okay. game one lineup, unless they're planning to bring Ghost in for game one, which seems unlikely, considering the fact that we're now we're going to be two games in, and it doesn't seem like Ghost is going to be in either of them. So it looks like we are setting up for, so for Robert Hague. I wonder as why game not. One, six. I wonder why not put Ghost in for this game against the Capitals. Because let's say that you put him in, and he looks pretty good, like he did against that last game against Boston. And so now you have something to consider, right? Like, now you have to consider, okay, is this team better with Shane Gossespierre than it is with Robert Haig? And I feel like that you would need, like, a second look at Ghost to determine that, really. So that that's interesting to me. I mean, like, I don't... It doesn't matter. I'm not Elaine Vigneault. But, like, it just seems like I think we would all agree that Shane Goss's bear playing really well makes this team better than Robert Haig does. So it's interesting to me that they don't seem to be considering that as an option on any kind of real level at all. I just, I just don't think there was ever like the, the way this is playing out more and more. I just don't think there was ever a realistic possibility that Shane Goss bear was going to be in the lineup for game one. Like unless he, unless he blew the utter doors off in you know in the exhibition or in one of the brown robin games like we we had we had this conversation last week about what is it going to take for shane gossbear to get in the lineup i think the way this has played out has answered our question is that he was going to have to just be amazing and he hasn't been amazing he's been good and he looks healthy but i i really think that the way this is playing out it just leads me to believe that they're their bias was towards the idea of let's just keep the pairings together like they were when we were really good in in February and March. I, I, get it. I have a thought about how they could maybe work the lineup, but we're going to get to it on the other side of this break. Kelly is telling me I need to take a break, so we're going to do that. Was it Kelly or Steph who wrote it in the outline? Same one. Oh, it was Kelly. Okay, I thought so. Uh, it was, so we're going to take a break, and uh, we'll be right back to talk about some more lineup ideas, more lineup, uh, you know, whatever the coach is going to do. I don't know what I'm saying. Let's just take this break. This is Advertiser Content, brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. 
And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snack-It. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever hit Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. All right, everybody, and we are back. And I, I said I had a lineup thought. Uh, Charlie, right before the break, said Elaine Vigneault is going to show us a forward we haven't seen yet. Well, a forward we haven't seen yet is Shane Gostisbehere. Is oh, it Lord. possible, given <laughs> given the given the like options we have behind Raffle oh with that injury, is it possible we see Shane Goss's bear forward? No, God, stop it! <laughs> right Every now, Phil, stop it! No. All right. Let's talk oh about the Michael Raffle injury and how it is going to affect that lineup. Uh, he was he was a guy. Who might have been on the bubble, but kind of everyone was penciling in is probable for uh, for the for the you know twelve forwards lineup. Uh, what do we think? Who's going to replace him? How's this going to go? How's the bottom six going to shake out now? Hmm. Well, well, it seems like I mean obviously Joel Farabee's jumping back in. You know Michael Raffles out, Joel Farabee's in, Joel Farabee. There it was always. There were always 13 forwards for 12 spots in terms of the way the Flyers were realistically looking at their forward core. And Joel Farabee and Nate Thompson were the two guys who were likely essentially battling for that final spot. Well, now Michael Roffel is out. Um, you know, He's out for at least a bit, as, uh, as Vigneault said earlier this week. Doesn't seem like it's playoff ending, but it does seem like it's significant enough that I wouldn't expect him at the start of the, uh, the actual playoff series. So, yeah, the logical thing is you, jump Far- you bump Farabee back in. That makes sense. Um, the interesting thing to me is this idea of another forward coming in. That that is fascinating to me, um, because then someone has to come out. Like then then you're thinking, okay, you know, are they are they possibly thinking about giving Connor Bunneman a chance at fourth line center instead of Nate Thompson? Are they possibly thinking about as the, which would be the most intriguing option? Are they thinking about giving Morgan Frost a chance? Like there's some intriguing possibilities here if they're serious about getting a forward who hasn't yet been in a game into this Thursday game. And obviously Frost to me is the the most exciting option because if he works, then you're looking at maybe there's your third line center, which opens up a whole different number of possibilities. Because um, obviously it's not going to be Limblom. He's still in Sweden. I really don't think it's going to be Andy Andrioff because he just like, he didn't it better that, not be. He just he didn't look that good in camp. Like, I, I think he deserved to make it because he's a passable, like, replacement-level NHL player, but he wasn't particularly inspiring in camp. So I would be no. mildly surprised if it's him unless the, the Flyers were just seeing something totally different than what I saw in Voorhees. But the Morgan Frost thing is interesting because that would be fascinating if they dropped him in at third-line center and were like, okay, let's see if you can get this JBR uh, uh, nak combo going on line three better than Derek Grant could. 
I want you to know that now that you have said that out loud, I like I will literally drop dead tomorrow if it doesn't happen. So thank <laughs> Thanks, you, Charlie. Charlie. Thanks a lot. They're, they're, they're just like there I aren't need a lot that. of forwards left. Like there I aren't a lot it. of possibilities. I need it because I feel like it could really work. I'm gonna like say something. I'm gonna know. say something that maybe maybe I'm uh, I'm a little overzealous on here, but I oh, am no. now pro Nate Thompson. Oh. I'm listening. He one scored a goal, but yeah. I'm not just gonna base it all off of that. Really, he's our old guy. He made the DGB, the Down Goes Brown rankings of old guys without a cup, so he fits that. Like he'll be like the third one to get the cup if uh, if the Flyers were to win it. Uh, he's got that great beard. I think he brings the intangibles. I think he could be like a new Ian Leperrier. Oh, uh, yeah, I certainly don't wouldn't go that far. Um, I do think that maybe he's getting a bit too much hate from people, uh, oh, particularly yeah. on social media. Um, he's been, so far as a flyer, he's been okay. Like, I, when I did my analysis of whether, um, you know, Thompson or Farabee should be in the lineup and where Scott Lawton should play, my my analysis basically found that Lawton is actively better at center than at wing than center. He's a much better, he's like a second-line caliber winger. He's probably a third-line caliber center. And for it to make sense for the flyers... To, to use Lawton at wing under the assumption they are going to get more out of Lawton and the rest of the second line by putting him there versus center, Nate Thompson basically just has to be a replacement-level NHL player, which he wasn't of that quality in Montreal per pretty much every metric we have. But he basically just has to be, like, passable. doesn't have to be great. He just has to be passable. Well, in the games that he's played as a flyer so far, his average game score, which is the number that um, the the metric that that Dom Luschichin from the Athletic uh, has put together, it's basically just like looking at a bunch of stats and putting it into one big catch-all metric. His average game game score has been zero point four, which is not great, but it's not negative value. And basically, he's so far as a flyer, he's done pretty much what he has to do. To justify, and obviously this gets thrown for a loop because now Raffles out, so Farabee's back in anyway. But he's done pretty much what he has to do to justify being in there as a fourth-line center. And is it possible that he gets significantly worse over the next few weeks? Yeah, it's certainly possible. Certainly possible he starts playing like the guy he was in Montreal. And in that case, I would hope that Elaine Vigneault and the coaching staff gets him the hell out of the lineup. But so far, he's been passable. He's been fine for what he is. So I can't bring myself to get too pissed off that he's in the lineup. I just can't. I mean, the thing is, like, the th- we don't have a lot to complain about anymore. And as people, true. we need complaints like we need air. So we've zoomed in on the fourth line center as the thing that we can complain about because it's possible that there is a player better than him. And so we can complain about it. Before we had so many things, so we didn't have to worry about the fourth line center. But now... No, like, Andrew McDonald was playing 20-plus minutes a night. That was worthy a complaint. Like, Mm -hmm. Nate Thompson and the seven minutes he's going to be on the ice, three of them on the penalty kill where he's actually kind of good, like, I'm not going to be too mad about. Like, I'm not going to treat him like Chris Vandevelde because he's better than Chris Vandevelde. Nate Thompson's in the NHL, and Chris Vandevelde isn't. Yeah, I could not care less about Nate Thompson. <laughs> no, it's just uh, like, like in in general as a player, he's on the ice, great. He's not on the ice, great. I could not care less. I'm telling you, I'm not even mad that he wears 44 anymore 
And uh, when I had that thought, when I was watching him the other night, I was like, no, someone else has worn it before. And then I remembered it was Chris Stewart. And then I had to look it up. Phil Veroni played 47 games for the Flyers. I don't believe you. I have no memory of any of them. That I, I don't think happen. anyone does, Bill, because I don't think that they happen. No, I think that somewhat... somebody wrote it down wrong on a stats website. <laughs> that's inc- like I love hockey reference, but there's no way that's true. Somebody fat fingered that. They meant seven. <laughs> I hit the four by accident. Uh, so, yeah, it's like Nate's. Ca- so, is Farabee just going to be penciled into the fourth line? Do you move him up and move someone else down? How, how, how do they work this thing? Cause it didn't, they seemed reluctant to play Farabee unless it was in the top six before the injury. Now, obviously, you got to do what you got to do, but how do, they, how do they work this thing? Well, Vino confirmed today that they are not breaking up the Lawton Hayes connecting line, so yeah. that yeah. only leaves the bottom six. Like, I, I, where is he going to fit in the bottom six? Probably the fourth yeah. line, because I don't think you're moving JVR down. And there's your left wings, unless you're playing Farabee on the right side. But I don't think you're moving all by Cubell down either, because they seem they they liked his game uh, against uh, against Boston. Um, so I don't think they're moving him down. And Farabee can't play center, so I guess he's on the fourth line. I guess. All right. I mean, you could have a worse fourth line, you know, than like your top forward prospect. So I'm pretty I'm pretty okay with that. Let's talk about Scott Lawton for a second, because. God damn, I love this kid more every time I watch him play. Like, I am legitimately a Scott Lawton fan now. Like, the, I am shocked the, with the, the turnaround that I've had, in, in my opinion, of Scott Lawton in the past couple of years. Because I went from thinking that he was a complete bust to captivated. Like, I, I'm captivated every time he's on the ice. He, uh, like, and I just really appreciate his battle. Like, he's he's been up and down. He had to spend, after playing in the NHL, had to spend years in the AHL. Like, it's been a hell of a ride for him. And now he's, like, delivering on all his first-round promise. I don't know if anyone thought he was going to be a true top-six forward when they drafted him. Like, 3C was kind of like, okay, yeah, hopefully. You know, and now he's out there with... We're, we were trying to replace him a couple weeks ago with Farabee, and now I want nothing of it. Like, I like that line a lot, and he is just taking on this role, the the Wayne Simmons replacement of the guy who will mix things up for his teammates and to get his teammates fired up. Uh, they were making... The, the announcers during the Boston game were commenting like, oh, yeah, it's, it hasn't been overly physical or intense. Like, it just hasn't had that level of, like, snarl to it, if you will. And then someone gets a little too close to Carter Hart, and here comes Lawton out of nowhere just to get in someone's <laughs> face and wake everyone up a little bit. Like, after uh, after Raffle went down, do I think that's a dirty play by Lazan? No. But uh, do I love Lawton went after him? 100% I do. That's what you do for your teammates. I, I, I'm just – I loved it. I'm enthralled by him. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I made a lot of, like – comments about the idea of moving Scott Lawton down because it makes the team better but after that Boston game it's like I can't like I can't argue with it it's, I can't justify I, it anymore no he belongs it's, there. it's too good yeah so I'm glad to know they're not breaking it up and if Joel Farabee ends up on the fourth line like I feel like the argument against that always is well you don't want to have a kid that you're developing playing six minutes a night well this isn't really Joel Farabee's development period like that doesn't fucking matter if he plays six minutes a night and he's really good on the fourth line okay that's cool i'm fine with it and, and it's the this playoffs. is the playoffs like, yeah the best playoffs. players play 
Yeah, you need the best players to play. So if that means that he's on the fourth line, okay, we'll be fine. Yeah, going. If Joel Farabee wins a Stanley Cup playing six minutes a night, I don't think he's upset. No, I don't, no, I don't think, I don't so think he's mad. No, his his career goal is accomplished. His name is Real on the quick. cup. The yeah. end. Yeah, going back to Lawton for a second, when I was working on that piece uh, about Lawton at center versus wing, I was going back and forth with uh, with, with Don Luchichin on our site uh, because he has all that game score data that I use in the piece. And uh, and I, I gave him all the info he needed to, to run the numbers through his model. And he gives me the numbers. And the first thing he said to me over Slack was, shit, I didn't realize how good Scott Lawton was this year until I ran these numbers. And because I, I wanted him to run them like just assume, like basically run the numbers for this year, assuming that like this was his only year in, in the NHL, like not not regressing it based on like last three seasons and everything, which is what he generally does with his model, but like run it just based on where he would rank if you just use his performance this year. And he's like, he grades out as a legitimate second liner if you just look at this season, both at wing and center, which is like... I don't think a lot of people maybe pick that up. Like there was, there were definitely some some people when when Lawton was winning those team awards uh, a few weeks ago that were just kind of like rolling their eyes, like oh here they go overrating Scott Lawton again. Like he's just like he's he's not bad, but he's not as good as they think he is. And like you know this is this is stupid. Like no Lawton was objectively speaking very good this year. He was objectively speaking playing at the level of a second line player, which is amazing for him. Like props to Scott Lawton, and you know obviously it's a big help to the Flyers as well. But I do think there's a there, there's there's a section of the fan base. Like I think a lot of people have have gotten on board the Scott Lawton bandwagon, but there's still a section of the fan base that looks at him as like in an ideal world he's on our fourth line, and they're worried that the Flyers are going to overpay him. And they're going to re- they're going to resign him when his contract's up at the end, and they're going to overpay him because he's not actually this good. And may- maybe he will get overpaid, but it's really important to point out that like people aren't overrating how good Scott Lawton has been this year. He's been very good. Now, whether he is actually that good or whether this was just kind of a flash in the pan year, his best season that he's not going to reach again, I don't know. Time will tell. But the idea that the idea that, like, the Flyers have so many bottom six prospects, why are they going to spend the money keeping Scott Lawton? Like, you dream that your bottom six forward prospects will become a Scott Lawton. That's like, like, Scott Lawton is the best case scenario for basically every single forward prospect in the Flyers organization that is not Joel Farabee, Morgan Frost, and, like, maybe Wade Allison. Like, this Scott Lawton is your best case scenario for all those guys. So like, I understand that we're going to be in a cap world where the cap's going to be stagnant and maybe you can't afford to pay what Scott Lawton probably deserves, but like, it's not, he's not an easily replaceable guy, I guess is the point I'm making. I agree. And when you talk about the contract value, like the last three years, he's scored 10, 12 and 13 goals. Granted, like the 13 is, you know, in this short season, he was on pace for a few, a few more, uh, and he missed some time too. But like, what are you really gonna pay a guy who's never scored fifteen goals? Like, oh, we're and, gonna and, break and, the and, bank and, on Scott Lawton? I really don't think yeah. so. Yeah, and and I'll I'll add Bobby Brink to that. Bobby Brink is on a, is on another level as well. Brink, like those yeah, yeah. those four, and maybe Isaac Ratcliffe. But like, honestly, if Isaac Ratcliffe is providing the value that Scott Lawton's providing, like that's that's fine. That's a that's a positive. But like. 
there, the Flyers have a lot of guys in the pipeline that are like, oh, they could be useful bottom sixers. Like, Scott Lawton is already a useful bottom sixer who isn't just a useful bottom sixer. He can play on the second line and be good there. That's, uh, I wanted to talk about Robert Haig, but Charlie, honestly, your, your note about him here is, I'm kind of just sick of it. I don't care anymore. <laughs> like, that's why I want to move Ghost to forward, because whatever. I don't give a shit. Just play Haig. Like, everyone was trying, a lot, not everyone, because there are people who can look at it objectively, and there are even people who are Robert Haig fans for whatever reason. Those like, people, people were trying to blame wild. that goal on him. And honestly, I thought he played it pretty right, considering Justin Braun was out of the screen, and it was a mini 2-on-1 as the forwards coming around the net. Like, Haig identified that there was a man on the back door and cut off that pass, and the forward with the puck wasn't able to step around because Haig was there. He just happened to get hit with it. It was bad luck more than anything. I Like, do I love Haig? No, but I'm not taking, I'm not messing with this lineup if I don't have to because they've been good for a while. I guess. Yeah, it's just I don't like, love it either. He, he, it's just, he, 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 he probably shouldn't be it. Like, yes. if you're talking about making <sighs> the, like, the objectively best possible lineup with the highest upside, he probably shouldn't be in. But I just I can't I can't bring myself to care. The third the I mean, third I pair get, is the third pair is fine. The third pair is fine. I get that. It's, it's fine. It's the same kind. I, it's the same kind of thing as the fourth line. It's because there's so little to pick apart. But it's just like Mark Friedman probably can't be any worse than Robert Haig, but he can definitely be better. So maybe just do that. Well, he could be. worse I mean, than Mark Robert Friedman Hague. could be worse than Robert yeah, Haig. I don't it's think so. Definitely possible. I again, I don't care. I don't care. We've complained about Robert Haig for so much over the past few years that I just I don't care. I, I honestly I thought this torch lit fam. For I honestly thought the Boston <laughs> game was one of Robert Haig's like most noticeable games. I thought I actually saw him make a couple plays. He jumped up on the rush once or twice. I actually saw him deliver a hit or two. It wasn't just said behind the play like I don't know. I thought he was actually kind of good. You're not supposed to notice defensemen when they're doing well. Everyone knows that. <laughs> they're not offensive <laughs> linemen. You do notice them. <laughs> Speaking of noticing defensemen, before we move on, uh, that second pair real quick. Holy shit, we saw mm. we saw the potential. That's it right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Phil looked fucking good. Oh, my yeah. God. Like, yeah, he did. Yeah. Sanheim first couple of shifts, I was like, ooh, okay. He figured it out. That little move he made to walk it down to set up Raffle for the goal, beautiful. Phil just using every tool he has to wire one across the ice, like, for a goal, beautiful. Uh, that second pair is going to be a problem for other teams. Yeah, it's great. I'm so glad I that they're figuring that. it out because we knew that they could. Well, they, they have. They've done yeah, it they before. Have. Yeah, like, yeah. It, it, This wasn't even a case of like, well, we're just trying this out and crossing our fingers. They were really good in the second half. But they also were capable of having really bad games. And that's the thing. Like, if it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about the idea that, you know, I would say most Flyers fans came into this playoff feeling good about the Flyers' chances. But it's just that that Boston game, it, it increased the confidence level. Like, it's a bit concerning that you're going to roll into the playoffs with a 21-year-old starting goalie who's never been in the NHL playoffs before. It's a bit concerning that you're going to roll into the playoffs asking a second pair that, you know, is a bit sporadic and a bit hot-cold and young and not terribly experienced to go up against first and second lines in the playoffs on a regular basis. Do we, do we think all three of those guys can do it? Absolutely. We've seen them do it. 
but the playoffs are a different animal in my opinion. Well, they went out there and they just looked amazing, all three of them. And you're like, okay, well, if they're not question marks anymore, what question marks do the Flyers actually have? Nate Thompson, damn it. <laughs> and then we go back to Nate Thompson. It's it's only concerning for the hockey men. It's not concerning for me that a 21-year-old goalie who is, you know, the prince who was promised. I mean, it's is... not concerning, but it's a question until you see it. Like, there have been plenty of good players who in their first try kind of lumped up in the uh, under the pressure. It's It happens. It doesn't look like that's what's going to happen here. Yeah, I mean, he used the word concerning, so I was following I up know, on that. I know, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm just building off of, like, what you said. Like, concern, no. But did I question it? Sure. Like, it's uh, – did I think Carter Hart was going to be bad in the playoffs? I didn't because I think he's just a good goalie. But until you see it, you don't know. I, eh, eh. Yeah. I mean, goalie I mean, in Philadelphia. Yeah, and I mean, this shit happens. Like, even going back to the guy who Carter Hart is constantly compared to, Carey Price – what happened in Carey Price's first playoffs? R.J. Umberger owned him. R.J. Umberger <laughs> owned his soul. And that was after oh, Carey Price God. was, like, the greatest thing since sliced bread. So, like, it happens. I'm not saying it's going Two years to later, Haloxin for Price. Yeah, like, shit happens with goalies. So you, it was fair to be a little bit concerned. But I'm not saying he's answered all the questions, but he, he did as, as well as he could have done to answer them in that first game because he was fantastic. So it's a ways off, fam. But, um... It was said today that Oscar Lindblom could be back playing in games by September. Now, if you look at it, round one, as Charlie said earlier, scheduled to start uh, August 11th. Round two, scheduled uh, August 25th. The conference conference finals, scheduled for September 8th. And Stanley Cup finals start September 22nd. So we're talking about the conference finals, potentially. Here comes Oscar Lindblom. I, and again, like they gotta win two series just to get there, and they haven't won one in eight years. But holy shit, what an incredible story! It's so amazing. I honestly can't believe it. Like I, I knew that he was gonna be okay. Like I really believed that. But the idea that he would be playing hockey this year just seemed ridiculous to me. Like there's absolutely no way that would happen. But I legitimately think if this team gets to the final, he's gonna be in it. It's. I, I don't even know if I would want that except for the final game of the Stanley Cup final just because he hasn't played in so long. Y- yes, he's skating with uh, Birnas, Bier- however you pronounce it, right now. Oh, bro. But like, that's oh, yeah, not yeah. playing games. He's not up to game speed. I don't want to set him up for an injury because they're rushing him back. Well, I don't yeah, think they but- would. Yeah, I, rush him back. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not saying they would rush him back. The The way that Vino described it today was that basically when, you know, in the pre-pandemic world, um, you know, before we knew that everything was going to be paused for four months and we were going to have this bizarre summer playoffs, apparently Vino was told that Limblom will not be able to play in the normal playoffs. So, you know, April, May, June, the, the normal, normal schedule playoffs. But it was reasonable to hope and expect that he would be ready to go by September's training camp for next season. That was what Vino was told. And his thing was, well, now the playoffs are happening in September. So, you know, so facto, maybe he could play in September. The one thing, though, that I do think needs to be pointed out there, though, is that 
they said he would be ready for training camp in September. Mm-hmm. That would mean training camp, a month of training camp and some preseason games before he's actually back into game action come October. Well, saying that he would have been ready for training camp in September is not the same as saying he would be ready for playoff games in September. Yeah. You know what I mean? For the Stanley so, Cup final. Yeah, yeah it's a so different. so to me it's like he could be back in semi-game shape by September, but would he be ready for playoff game shape considering the fact that he just had his body ravaged for four or five months by, you know, chemotherapy and everything? Is he going to be ready for that right away once we hit September 1? I'm skeptical. I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm just skeptical. I'm skeptical skeptical that, like, if he's going to come back, it would to me it would be, you know, mid to late September, not early September. I mean, I I just don't think – I'm not saying that the Flyers are going to plop him in there like with absolutely no confidence in how he's going to play. Like I don't think that he would be in the lineup if they thought it was going to hamper the team's chances at winning games. I also don't think – and this has like kind of been a theme since he's been finished with his treatments. Like I don't think I have any reason to believe that there's any downside to him playing hockey physically like at all so that is not a concern for me at all I just don't think I I've been saying all along I think that they would dress him for a Stanley Cup final game just to get his name on the cup without having to do the whole petition thing so it could be that I don't think they're gonna put him in and play him 20 minutes a night but he could get in you never know wouldn't his name be on the cup anyway didn't he play enough games this season no I'd I'd have to look at the rules I mean the thing is there's no way his name won't be on the cup no they would have to allow. They won't allow that to happen, but there is like a like if you play an X amount of games in the regular season, you get on automatically. I'm not yeah. sure if he hit that. It would probably be close. I'd have to go up and go and look up the rules. But I don't it's it, it's it's did. one of the it's one of those things where like the reason why I haven't looked it up is because it's irrelevant to me because if they win, his name's on the cup. So like, of who course, cares? It is. but yeah, you know. he's get like there's no way they'd ever leave him off. That would oh my god, no. imagine there'd be a riot at the Hockey Hall of Fame. Like, <laughs> I mean, you know, you dress him for the game that they're going to win the cup in, and he gets to skate out with the rest of the guys and get the cup like a normal hockey player. Like, when he doesn't they have sweep to be like, like you still have to, you still have to win the game. Like, if you're not, you're not going to dress him to be a glorified mascot. If they dress him, they're yeah. dressing him because they think he helps them win the game. I agree, but I don't think that that means that it would be in the same role that we saw him in before that's he fair. got sick. And yeah, I feel fair. like um, backup goalie. When there the Kings, <laughs> when the Kings won their last one, uh, like with Simone, uh, was it with Simone Gagne? They had somebody who was like in and out of the lineup throughout the playoffs that they made sure to get in for like the clinching game. Like so, it, it maybe something be like done. that. Um, yeah. So Charlie mentioned in his recent piece that uh, offenses haven't quite caught up yet, and. If you're following along with gambling Twitter, a lot of money has been made taking the unders so far. We saw that sticky ice in the Boston game. I said all year I thought the Flyers would be well-built for the playoffs just because of their straight-ahead, simple style. They create opportunities on the forecheck. They take advantage of turnovers. And it's not like there's not a lot to what they do. Could it be even more beneficial in these conditions with the heat and humidity and the ice that's been constantly in use? There's no way by the middle of these playoffs it's going to be very good ice, regardless of what the temperature is outside. Is this an advantage for the Flyers? Because I feel like it is. Oh, I don't know. It's been pretty bad. How could bad ice be an advantage? Because they 
depends so much on just getting pucks deep that, like, they just have this straight-ahead style where there's not a lot of margin. Like, they, they don't make sometimes. a ton of... They don't yeah. make a ton of puck management errors. I just don't see that the a bad ice being an advantage to anyone. You still have to skate. I appreciate that. Ask the, the devils. They won a ton of cups with bad ice. Did they, though? Was that really one of their things? It was fucking hot in there. The classic example of anecdotal evidence, Bill. They're the it devils. Was fucking it was hot, hot Charlie. Oh, I, I don't. The I don't think this. Swaps in New Jersey on Memorial Day. You're goddamn right. It was hot in there. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think this gives any team an advantage more so than the others. And they're probably going to get better at making the ice better-ish anyway. Um, I, I do think that the straight-ahead forechecking style is going to help them out in the beginning. Um, and I think you're already seeing that. That the Flyers do play such a you know, and they they have in the past. They played like a north-south, very you know, avoid mistakes with the puck type of style they, they did the same thing at the start of the regular season um that it's easy for them to kind of fall back on it and then they can start to open it up later and hopefully you know that progression happens the same way it did in the regular season um so i think that'll be a, a help to the flyers or in the early going and very well could make it less likely that they're going to be upset in comparison to other teams that focus more on skill um but i, I don't see this ice thing as being a major impact I, I i don't personally well i hope everyone enjoyed charlie's last episode of bsa trade <laughs> <laughs> i always knew he would get fired i never thought it would be because of ice <laughs> all right do we want to keep going or uh do we want to do like an ice sport at some point all right let I me have to go pick up my car right. let me uh let me jump in um so we did get a the news on what the practice lines were today Ooh. and the change was so sorry kelly you will be disappointed the change was that uh that joel faraby played at right wing on the third line with albay cubell and Derek grant and james van reemsdyke <laughs> cycled cycled in and out with connor bunneman at wing on line four holy man shit. av is not a jvr fan <laughs> he doesn't that like him is wild you know yeah. what though i'm okay with it because it's gonna make the whole the whole seattle thing very easy and JVR, <laughs> yeah. Except they're gonna have to give him a first round pick to take him. I mean, if that's what it takes. Yeah, it is what it, it is. We got it's just it, pick anyway. no. I mean, if if that's what they do, it very much like I I asked this question to uh, to AV on I guess what's today Wednesday, so I guess it would have been Monday. I asked him what his thoughts were on JVR because I don't think he's looked that good, and this dates all the way back to camp. And basically. Uh, Baby said he thought JVR's camp was good, but he agrees that JVR hasn't been that good in the bubble. Then again today, he said that they need more from JVR. So this strikes me, if anything, just strikes me as like them pushing JVR, you know, yeah. being like, hey, dude, get your shit together. You might not be in the lineup. I still think he's going to be in the lineup, but I definitely think this is them giving him a little shove and saying, dude, okay. get your shit together. I'm into it. I didn't like I didn't like the first 40 minutes for that third line. But I thought the third period, they were tremendous. I thought they had some good, hardworking shifts. They got pucks deep. They were physical. Uh, they need to do that, you know, for three periods because they're the third goddamn line. But I, I liked – I thought they were trending in the right direction. But, shit, Farabee's going to be motivated to stay in the lineup. He's going to be motivated to stay off the fourth line. He's fighting with JVR. Give him the shot at least. I trust Elaine Vigneault with my life at this stage of the game. So whatever he decides, yeah, I think much. it's going to be good. Give that man a martini. 
Have you asked yet, Charlie? Have I asked what? Gin or vodka? Uh, It's gotta be gin. No, I have not asked yet. I have not asked yet. There's no way he's not like a classic, like straight up by the book martini guy. With like extra olives or some shit. Something like that. All right, so we had a little bit of breaking news there for the practice lines. Do we want to? Do we want to keep going and knock out a few things, or are we are we good? We're good. I literally have to go pick up my car. So all if right. you guys want to keep going, then you can. But I've got to go. That is all the time we have for you on BSH Radio this week. Thank you all for listening. Thanks for hanging out. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. You know the whole spiel: Broad Street Hockey Podcast. Subscribe ratings. You know, nice words, etc. My name is Bill Matz for Charlie, for Kelly, for Steph. Have a great week, everybody. Are you ready to talk about sports? Yeah!